0: Hello and welcome, you're listening to Resiliency, a podcast that takes an inside look at enhancing the vitality and resilience of field workers. From experts in member care to frontline field workers, our guests will bring you their experience, their lessons learned, and always something practical you can take away and use to increase your resiliency in cross-cultural life and ministry. Co-hosts Silas West and Steve Finley are just one part of an ever-growing and strengthening net of member care in the Antioch Movement. They want to see Matthew 2414 happen and do everything they can to help field workers have the kind of resilience that enables them to make it for the long haul.
1: Hey, welcome everybody to Resiliency, a podcast in which we share keys to becoming a more resilient person and trying to help field workers really make it for the long haul. You know, a lot of our field workers, Silas, live in places and they deal with people who are traumatized. Uh, They're living in super difficult situations, if not our field workers themselves, definitely some of the people that they are seeking to reach out to. So with that idea of people on this planet suffer from a lot of trauma, we wanted to invite a couple of our dear friends, one, the dear wife wife of you, Kimberly, (laughs) Kimberly, to speak with us on this topic in relation to resiliency. So ladies, Susan Peters and Kimberly West, we welcome you ladies to resiliency Thanks. today.
2: Thanks, yeah.
1: glad to be here. Well, it's great to have you. I want you both to uh, introduce yourself, including just your your life and your work experience. That would really make you a great person for us to interview for this topic. And uh, just for our listeners, the big idea today is keeping hope alive while experiencing the effects of secondary trauma like Susan and Kimberly have in their ministries that they've been involved in through the years. So, yeah, Kimberly, why don't you introduce yourself?
3: Uh, my name is Kimberly West. I have four kids. We're dealing deal with secondary trauma. We spent 10 years in Kathmandu, Nepal with my family. We lived in the slums with Nepali people for those 10 years. That and was then, traumatic in and of that itself. Was <laughs> <traumatic> in <laughs> itself. That's what and I'm then, talking about. Over the years, spent about a year off and on in Calcutta working at the Home for the Dying.
1: Mm. Mm. And Susan?
3: Hi, I'm Susan Peters, married to Mr. P
2: for 30 years, and we have four adult kids. And I've been on staff at Antioch here for a long time. I don't know how many years, close to 20, I guess. And so... Is I that think, your
0: trauma Trauma experience? No, it's <laughs> not my trauma experience.
2: It's been a joy. But mm-hmm. I would say trauma experience would be, you know, just over the years visiting the missionary, seeing where they live, what they deal with, but primarily... I would say what I have to offer today is my experience with Unbound, which is our anti-human trafficking ministry that we have through our network of churches. And so we serve victims of human trafficking, mostly sex trafficking. And so, I mean, last year we served 95 survivors just locally. Our Fort Worth team has served over 100. So you're talking about mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of trauma um, in the young boys, young girls, young women that we serve. So, yeah, yeah.
1: And this is why we wanted you ladies uh, to be the ones we interviewed today. Real quick, though, Silas, why don't you tell us even the whole phrase secondary trauma. You know, maybe not everybody even listening would know exactly what that is. Why don't you sure. just kind of tell us like trauma is this and secondary trauma is that.
0: So trauma is, is an experience that affects our cognitive ability to function. It affects our, our emotions. It's often reliving things that have happened in the past. But primary trauma is when that event happens to us. But secondary trauma, which a lot of us carry, especially people who work side by side with, the, with victims or people who are involved in crisis care, like at an ER or something like that, but secondary trauma is when you witness the trauma over and over again repeatedly happening to somebody else. And it still has an effect on you, often the same kind of effect that it has on, on people who experienced uh, primary trauma. Right. So sometimes we talk about,
1: especially us in member care, we talk about things like compassion fatigue... And similar subjects, and oftentimes it's because we're actually uh, dealing with secondary trauma mm-hmm. when uh, when we hear, but but especially you ladies, I think when you have heard and when you've been face to face with, and you've had your you know your hands getting your hands you know dirty with those who are in such poverty or who are in such uh, abusive, horrible situations. So we want to give the time to you to speak. So I want to ask you just this. The whole idea is keeping hope alive. And, you know, we're sitting here in front of two vibrant women who are uh, strong in the Lord and are doing great in their family life and all that. So you haven't been overwhelmed. You haven't been overcome by that which you've dealt with. So I wanted to ask you, what has enabled you to keep hope alive and to not be overwhelmed by the incredible amount of trauma and the traumatized people that you've encountered and that you've loved and ministered to through the years? Kimberly, yours uh, is a little bit in your rearview mirror in that you were living in Nepal all those years. You did live in Calcutta. Um, why don't you just tell us first, you know, how have you kept How did you keep hope alive when you and Silas and your kids were right there in the thick of it?
3: I think for me, in the thick of it, like some days it'd be really hard. I deal with the trauma. One of the ladies I worked with really closely got severely beat up by one of the guys we also worked with. And that trauma of her experience and his experience in the addiction But I think what was able enabled me to keep hope alive was being able to go to God and say, "Why, like God, why did this happen?" And just be able to ask God those questions, but trust that God was there. Mm -hmm. So it ended like ending each day with, like the going over my highs and my lows, our desolation, our consolation, and seeing in the midst of even the most difficult times that there was something to hold on to. There was that little bit of consolation, and some days had more consolation than desolation. But for me, being able to track that and keep up with that, like where's the good, where did I feel God closest, and where did I feel God farthest away, and being able to see in each day he was close with me at some point, and being able to hold on to that, I think is what enabled me to come out of it with my faith still intact. I've seen all this trauma, and if friends turned away from God in the midst of it all. But being able for me to just draw into God and see where he was supporting me and all that.
1: Yeah, just so on that note, you just said friends, you've seen friends turn away from God Mm -hmm. in the midst of working in the slums or what. You know, what, I'm not saying point out somebody, you know, call somebody (laughs) out. But, you know, what what was their experience? What were they saying and relaying to you? Kind of like, Kimberly, I am out of here because, you know, what did you... Hear people who, who didn't have that kept, weren't able to keep hope alive
3: I feel like it was a, for those people it was a slow progression of they ended up leaving Nepal normally or they ended up leaving Asia and coming back to the states and because they didn't deal with their trauma themselves what they were going through they looked to other people to fill those needs other relationships that those relationships then took them away from God I don't think any of them decided today like hey I'm not going to trust God today but it was mm. slow steps of just not trusting God in that moment or holding on to God in that moment that then led them down a different path than the path I came down.
1: So I, I kind of hear you emphasizing it's crucial to kind of keep a real short account. Almost, like, not account, I don't know what the right yeah. word is, but like, I'm dealing with this today. Because mm-hmm. if I wait till tomorrow, there's more coming down the pipe and more. And so it sounded like a daily yeah, consolations, desolations. That's... Every day
3: I had to deal with it. Like, where was God today? And I can take those those hard things to God. Like, where were you? And experience that with God so that tomorrow when I wake up I know where God is. Mm. I know where I am with God, so I can go through the day. Because every day held its own tough situations. Right.
1: That daily so crucial. What about you, Susan?
2: Wow. Um, I mean, I think number one, we gotta spend time with Jesus and get his perspective and I mean that's the fuel for our fire to live. And so I mean that's if that wanes Everything wanes because you're going to get bombarded with the death cycle and the sin cycle and hopelessness. So I think keeping hope alive is getting God's perspective in the morning and knowing that it's not about us. It's about letting God live through us to bring his presence into hard situations, you know. Mm. And I think, you know, my team sometimes, you know, will, I mean, my Fort Worth team just lost a victim to murder that they have been working with. And we're talking about tough stuff. And I think just knowing that we can't fix these problems. We have to do what Jesus has called us to and do our part. He's the author and perfecter of people's faith. He he sees the end from the beginning. And so I think having a right perspective of what is our part, and our part sometimes is just the power of presence with someone suffering. You know, when you've got years of of abuse and being on the streets or whatever you know our victims you know take many different you know just like yours do the different timelines that they've been out there and traumas that they're dealing with and some get help right away and it's a victory story and they get their life back and that's wonderful but many are gonna go through cycles while they're getting their life back and so if we have our hope in outcomes Hmm. It's going to be devastating, and we can't do that. We have to have our hope in Jesus, and abide in Him, and know that our part is to try to bring life and just to be present and to do what we can for them, but not take on, on too much ownership. And that's that's when I see that myself or someone on my team might start sinking because hmm. they're taking the responsibility that's ultimately it's Jesus. You know, yeah. He He's the one if we only have one touch yesterday I got a call out from law enforcement and we went and and this lady was very very abused and trafficked and we were able to get her to a safe place but because of her history and being a little bit older I don't know how long she'll stay in a safe place And but I have to be okay with I've done my part Jesus I yeah. loved you and I loved the one in front of me the best I could we gave her the resources we had access to to get her to a safe place and to breathe hope pray for her. But ultimately, you know, God, we pray for her. So, so a lot of it has to do with abiding in Jesus and Him being that hope every day and then understanding what our part is. And our part is not the deliverer. He's the deliverer.
1: Right. Yeah, if you put your hope in sort of like the success stories,
2: right. oh, they're few
1: and far between, yeah. quite honestly. Absolutely. It's just the nature of the work. Right. It's like in baseball, if a guy hits 30%, a balls in play fair he's mm-hmm. hall of fame in the end of his career and he's only added, batted 300 you know yeah. uh, there's seven times that he didn't get the ball in right. play right. Uh, but right yeah some analogy there right
0: something that I've often told people I have to remind myself of it my, as well is uh, we can't work harder than the people who are in front of us are willing or able to work and it's a lot kind of sounds a lot what, what you said there mm-hmm. just not taking it on their success on to ourselves as mm-hmm. giving us v- validity or right. um so though they say that spending time with Jesus both of you really that mm-hmm. was kind of your thing mm-hmm. put that in context for us put it in context of how your highs and lows like what kind of an, a situation where would you experience that where you needed to to do that
3: okay well I mean the story I alluded to there's this elderly woman named Anamania and Anamania was like the best part of every single day of my life because she was just super sweet and she was a little lady that begged on the streets and the guys we worked with were drug users most of them were addicts and they beat her up once or twice and found out about it but then probably five years into our time in Kathmandu they beat her up so bad that she died and so it was like dealing with this like that desolation of, I love both of these people so much. I love these guys that we're working with unimaginably amounts. And I love Anamania with everything I have because mm. she's just, the, she didn't speak English. She didn't speak Nepali very well. She only knew like seven phrases, but I just sat with her. They're just like sitting in her presence. Which she always
0: nice. brought you boiled eggs.
3: She brought me boiled eggs <laughs> every day because I was pregnant or had babies. But just this idea of like going to God and being like pouring out my Mm. heart of like grief, but then having hope for these guys at the same time, that Mm. like juxtaposition, which is what Silas would say, but of the good and the bad, like seeing them both in the same moment and really um, just hold on to that. The other thing is my sister has this expression that you'll either laugh or you'll cry in every situation. Like when we had kids, it's like you either laugh or you'll cry in every situation and seeing in some of that not that there's any humor in Anamania's death, but just the seeing the humor in the fact that I love both of these people with an unbelievable love. I would have given anything for the guys and I would have given anything for her. But so holding on to that. And so when that happened and putting my not my hope in those, but like pouring my heart into these guys and praying for them just with love and Really wanting redemption for them, I think, is what enabled me to, to see hope in the midst of that really hard time. Mm-hmm.
0: So, did forgiveness have to play a part in some yeah, of that? Yeah,
3: forgiveness mm-hmm. definitely had to play a part of it. I mean, and there'd be times five years later when they do something, I'm like, you did that because you hurt Anamania. Like, that happened to you because of this. Mm-hmm. And it didn't. <laughs> but I think I had to forgive them in the midst of it, to be in relationship with them. After that experience, I had to mm-hmm. be able to forgive them mm-hmm. and see that it was their own brokenness that caused them to, I mean, they didn't kill her on purpose. They were trying to get money from her when it happened, but it was their brokenness that brought them to that.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let me go play right off the experience itself, uh, Kimberly, in this subject of secondary trauma. Um, I'm under the impression you saw Anamania, your friend, uh, after this. After this incident that you
3: I saw her the first couple times they beat her up, I saw her after that. But when they when she died I didn't see her after okay. that incident. Yeah. I only heard about it from them.
1: Yeah. Just wondering just on that whole thing of memories that get mm-hmm. kind of burned into our minds and mm-hmm. all of that and how that can become part of trauma that we carry forward. Anything in particular that you've you've seen a lot. Yeah. You've seen a lot with the sisters of charity. Is that mm-hmm. what it's called in Calcutta? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, just kind of that whole idea of, you know, the stuff that's actually physically there that you've seen, that you've, that you've um, witnessed, that can kind of uh, play over and over the tape in your mind. Is there any part of that that, you know, that you have any secrets or keys to dealing with that kind of issue, part of the trauma?
3: I think for me, like talking about it with like our community was really tight and close. So we all shared a lot about what we were going through. I know some people like to journal and write it out. I, I'm not very good at journaling.
0: You have good intentions. With I have it. good intentions of journaling. A lot of started journals.
3: A lot of started journals. But being able to talk it out. I'm married to Silas, counselor man. So we would talk <laughs> about it. But I think our community a lot of times would just get together for coffee or food, mostly for food, and talk about what was going on. So we all knew each other's hurts and pains, but we were able to express them in community so wow. we all could carry each other's burdens. That's, that's big. That's mm-hmm.
1: a key, really good thing. Mm-hmm. How about you, Susan?
3: Uh, you know, I, I think
2: what made me become aware of the secondary trauma, you know, sometimes we're just not aware. You know, we think we're bringing it to the Lord and offloading it and trying to have the right perspective. We try to encourage our team to see a counselor frequently so that they're offloading those things. Um, But I remember um, I was up at the church doing something and the lights weren't on and I knew where the light switch was so I was walking, you know, feeling the wall towards it. Kind of dumb now that I think about it. But anyway, I miscalculated where the stairwell was and fell in the stairwell, which I didn't get hurt, but this, like, terror came over me. And I, and I realized at that moment it was an overreaction to that experience, you know? It wasn't a big fall or anything like that. And I realized that I had been carrying a lot of stress that when noises would happen, I was overreacting. Mm -hmm. Um, and And that made me aware. I was like, you know what? I don't think I'm doing as well as I think I'm doing because of these experiences that were kind of like those red flags saying, hey, you're not offloading this to the level you need to to be healthy. And so when you hear people's stories and sit with the suffering it's, you know, we love Jesus. We love people. We want to see people come into the wholeness that God has for them. And, and a lot of times there's nothing you can do, or, you know, we see some of our survivors and, you know, for whatever reason, the DA or law enforcement, they drop the case and there's going to be no justice for them. There's just so many, you know, I think about our people in the field. There's so many injustices that are not going to be fixed. Mm -hmm. And so if you can't come to some reconciliation with the Lord to say, God, I have to give that to you. This is a broken world, Mm -hmm. so what is my peace in this? Because if my hope is in fixing that injustice, you will lose it, you know. So I think processing all that and being aware that, hey, it's going to have an effect on us and try to have those safety nets of having your husband and your community that you work with, you know, Processing it, having a counselor that we frequently check in with, that's tracking with us, and and then when you feel yourself overreacting, like I did, to go, okay, what do I need to do? I need more space to have downtime. I need to meet with friends. I need more joy in my life with the things with I, that I enjoy—dinner with my husband or playtime with my kids—and just kind of dealing with that secondary trauma because it's there because we care about people.
0: Mm-hmm. What are some of those other signs? You, s- you mentioned hypervigilance.
3: Yeah. What are some of the other ones? Maybe sleeplessness, mm. not sleeping, um, reoccurring dreams. I think for me, like quick anger over things <laughs> that I have no reason to be angry yeah. about.
1: That's exactly where I was going to go a minute ago. You, You spoke of the stairwell incident. We're going back to that thing of, so tell us an incident or a story, not mm. just the hypothetical or whatever, mm. but... Where you have expi- you've been in these situations of there is accumulating stress in right. my life right now. I've right. been through weeks and months of unending right. s- the stories of our victims and all right. that. Tell it. Tell me a time where you have said enough is enough. If I don't break right. the stress level in my life right now, by right. you right. know, then I may I may crack. Right. What have you done?
2: Um. I mean, you know, the truth is we make our own schedules, and so most of us work too much. And so I think when I get like that, I have to give myself permission to take the space I need and what refuels me. I mean, it may seem silly and it's such a girl thing, but I like to get my hair done. I like to get my nails done. Um, I like to go to lunch with friends. I like to spend lunch or shopping with the girls, you know. I just know that I've got to up on, you know, we're body, soul, and spirit. And our soul, our, our emotions and that connection with people too. And so those are healthy things. So I I know I need to feed my soul, you know, and also just taking time off where over the course of 20, 30 years walking with Jesus, there's cyclical times where I'll take good long pieces of time to get with the Lord, to have like some more extended times of prayer or the word. But in the busyness of life, I get away from that. Mm-hmm. And so when I realize, hey, I'm not walking in joy or peace or I'm, you know, I'm having these situations. And I I also try to balance it with the things that feed my soul, the dinners with my husband, the walks in the park, the time with friends, but also try to get that quantity time with the Lord that kind of refuels me, recalibrates me. And and honestly, offloads again, it's not dependent on me. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we're, we're responsible. We, we have ministries. We have funds to raise. We have staff to take care of. And that can slowly become too much of a burden. And to get that right perspective with the Lord just takes time. And I just need to recalibrate. So making myself take the time to do it. Mm-hmm.
1: That's good. Kimberly, what's your message to the first-termer on the field? Mm-hmm. A lot of our listeners are out there, you know, uh, first couple of years, first year, two or three and particularly the ones who are in a host culture or a host cult country that uh, has so much of this day-to-day, you know, week-to-week exposure to traumatic situations in life. What's your your best shot at? Here's my advice to you guys.
3: I think probably it's okay to, to be sad. If you yell at someone, it's okay to go back and deal with it. Like, okay, what is going on? Because I know our first Six months, I yelled at people, and then I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm the worst missionary ever. <laughs> but being able to be, – <laughs> wasn't yeah. the worst missionary ever, but being able to go back and say, hey – I mean, not everyone I could go apologize to because the taxi, random taxi driver. <laughs> but realizing when I felt that injustice in me at a taxi driver, it wasn't at the taxi driver. And to be able to go back and figure out what I need within <clears throat> myself, but to be able to be really gracious with yourself. I realized pretty quickly mm. in Nepal that me – being me, being human, enabled the Nepalis we lived with to realize like, oh, I can follow Jesus and not be perfect. Like taking that graciousness with yourself that just because you're a missionary, you're not perfect and take the time you need for what you need. My other thing would be really, I mean, first term, I think it was really great for me to delve into relationships with Nepalese because we had staff come and go all the time. But my Nepali friends... They couldn't leave. They were (laughs) stuck there. And they were stuck with me. And they were stuck like Mm. when I thought something was horrible and really traumatized by an experience that I saw happen, they could explain to me they've lived through it, like what they've gone through and that ability. So just taking the time to really talk Mm. through it with people who have been through those experiences so they can help you understand not the other person's point of view, but culturally what's happening, why this is happening, so you can just get a deeper understanding. And the other thing, in the past couple years, I've been realizing like adrenaline in trauma, like why you need to deal with adrenaline. And Kathmandu, I rode my bike everywhere. And I think that helped with my trauma level because it was like, I was upset I had adrenaline. And then biking through a big city on your bike, bicycle, like pedaling on a bike, really helps release that mm-hmm. adrenaline. So finding something physical mm-hmm. that releases adrenaline is super helpful. That's great. With that.
1: That's really great. Mm-hmm. Susan, if our listeners only remember <laughs> one thing from this subject of keeping hope alive while experiencing the effects of, of secondary trauma, mm-hmm. what would that one thing be for you?
2: You know, I think do for the one what you wish you could do for them all. Mm-hmm. You know, there's you can be overwhelmed with extreme poverty or the masses of people that don't know Jesus or... Um, the, how many people are caught in human trafficking. It can be overwhelming and immobilizing and paralyzing. But Jesus didn't call us to do everything. We can't, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think it's a balance of of one is knowing that it's a Western thing to be performance-driven, which is what did I accomplish today? Mm-hmm. How many did I see come to Jesus or get delivered or do whatever? We, that's a Western partially carnal (laughs) mentality and so i think we have to dial back and say no i want to live and move and have my being in jesus i want to love him and love the ones in front of me and do what i can today and let today whatever i did today be enough you know find that that contentment knowing that your presence with jesus inside of you living in a dark place is enough you know and how you display that in the work that he gives you to do or the the relationships and no matter how small or how broad it is be be satisfied with that and then when you see huge huge need it can be overwhelming so dial back down and just say what can i what small thing can i do for the one that i wish i could do for them all mm-hmm. and be okay with that 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 was your portion and know that it's it's seed sown and god will show you from there because otherwise you can really get immobilized by the vast needs of the world yeah, That's mm-hmm. wonderful mm-hmm.
1: This is priceless. Thank you so much. I, I personally look forward to listening back through what, what you two have shared because this is super helpful stuff, rich, rich. And you, you ladies have lived well. You've served the poor well, and you've served victims extremely well, and you've brought other people into it with you because many hands make the work a little bit lighter. Mm-hmm. So way to go. Well done. We always like to ask our guests on Resiliency to just pray this into those who are listening. We've got two of y'all, so I don't know if we're going to have a super long time of prayer. They're looking at each other. Who's going to (laughs) pray? All right. Susan, why don't you just pray and bless bless our listeners?
2: Lord Jesus, we love you, and we honor you. And Father, God, thank you that you are building resiliency in us. Lord, we want to make it over the long haul. God, we want to have a vision in our 80s or however long life you give us that we're fruitful, that we are sweeter and sweeter every day, that our hearts are guarded, that they don't become bitter, they don't become hardened, they don't become insensitive, but yet we grow more in love, more in faith, more in joy, more in peace because we've walked with you. Lord, we know that there are many needs around where we live and um, so many broken people in such a broken world. God, give us the eyes of life that you have for the broken people, that you see the end from the beginning. God, you see them complete in Jesus. God, help us to see that. Help us to not put over responsibility on ourselves and walk out of performance trying to do something in ourselves. But Lord, just let us be content, loving you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, letting you live your life through us and display your beauty through us. And, Lord, we believe that you will cause us to be fruitful because that gives you honor and glory. And that's what we pray for. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Thanks again. Well, friends, that's it for this week's episode. You've been listening to Resiliency. This episode has been produced by me, Silas West, with help from my co-host, Steve Finley. We are so grateful for the generosity of our guests for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much. We couldn't do it without you. We also want to give a big shout-out to the band Honest Men, who wrote and performed the music in our intro and outro. Special thanks for the voice talent of Sarah Neely, who introduced us at the beginning of the episode. If you liked what you heard, encourage your friends to subscribe and tune in in two weeks from now for the next episode of Resiliency.